Amen. All right, so we're going to continue our series in Matthew, and we're starting chapter 10. Hey, guys, we started this Matthew series in January. Matthew 10, verses 1 through 8. Uh, Josh, would you like to read a verse, and we'll go clockwise? Okay. That took way too much thought. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them the authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. The name of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Uh, these twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go amongst the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim You do you. And proclaim as you go saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick and raise the dead. Cleanse leopards, cast out demons. You received without pain. You received without pain. Give without pay. I don't know where to stop. I'm gonna no, you're gonna go. <laughs> you're gonna go. <laughs> I like look at the numbers. The numbers are tiny. <laughs> so what makes so this section is at before this Jesus was traveling and there were crowds and people were following him and there was a lot of conversation. Uh, like interactions that he had where he was challenging like are you sure you want to follow me and then there were miracles and there were scenarios where people's faith were challenged they saw these things and the religious people still didn't get it and we ended um, before last week when we celebrated one year um, with Jesus identifying that like there's so much work to be done but not enough people to do the work and so as we transition into chapter 10 he this is the exclusive call. Like these are the twelve. These are the twelve who are, who are following me because the disciple is somebody who follows Christ. So these are the people who are living closest to me. And this is the first time all twelve of them are identified as Christ's followers. And you can see that in the first verse where he calls them, he called his twelve disciples together, and he gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and heal every kind of disease. What we see is that. First off, the 12 disciples were not really that special. They're special to us now because they are the 12 disciples. But these were ordinary young men who were doing ordinary stuff. Even Matthew, who was a traitor to his nation because he was a tax collector. But there were fishermen and there were these young people doing these different things. And what's interesting is that he called <coughs> these 12, he called them his. So he identifies them as these are people with me. They are following me. But these are regular people. And he t- he it says he gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and sickness. And so we see here that healing is actually a normal part of what Jesus did. But he, And he gave them authority to do. That struck me was that there are so many things that people do, men and women do, to try and to essentially gather these, these papers that make you look more legitimate to go and do this ministry and what Jesus gave the disciples was authority 
that he gave them the authority to go out and do these miraculous things. And I recognize for myself that, yes, I can have all these certificates to justify why I should be able to do what I do. That why it is not unbiblical for me to lead this church and teach the men and women here. But those don't matter as much as the authority that Jesus has given me to go out as a Christ follower to see people healed and restored. And we make it so complicated because the authority that Jesus gave the 12 is the same authority he gives us to go and see restoration and go and see healing. That it is not just for the special people. It's not just for the professional pastors, but it is people who have accepted Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit, moving in that authority. That Those are the people who are going out and changing the world. And that is us. And that is us in all the circles and places of influence that we go into. That is us going into schools and going into uh, friend groups and going into workplaces, going into doctor's office, going anywhere and carrying the very presence of God in us. And letting that be proof, tangible proof, by the way that we just serve and love people. So while we might have all these things that aren't necessarily bad, it is not bad to go get a theology degree and an MDiv and ordination certificates and all these things. It is, I'm not saying it is not bad or evil to go get those things. But those things do not matter if we are not moving and operating in the authority that Jesus gives his disciples to go and do ministry. Because my piece of paper that says that I'm ordained Assemblies of God pastor does not give me authority to go preach the gospel. Jesus gives me authority to go preach the gospel. My degree that I have to constantly tell people that I've been educated to do this does not give me authority. It might give me like credibility for people who don't think I should do this. But my authority to go and teach is from Jesus. Your authority to go and teach and to see people restored is from Jesus. So if he gives it to the 12 ordinary people, some of them very hated, like Matthew, then I think we should begin to think that he can move in us, that he can send us out and to do this ministry. And so in verse 1, you see that he call, he gathers his 12 disciples. He gathers the 12 people who follow him. And then in verse 2, he calls them by a different name. They're identified differently, which is here are the names of the 12 apostles and so the word apostle essentially in greek means one that is sent out and so now he has identified them he has given them authority and now we will see the sending out of the apostles the sending out of the people who follow christ who have authority and he names them all but you see like where it says like in parentheses simon also called peter um james (coughs) son of zebedee is that they had to attach those because some of the disciples had the same name So he goes and he lists the people and he even lists Judas who later betrays him. It was that, again, they're not special people. They were not wealthy people who had all these resources. They were not people who had all these extraordinary gifts. Be a fisherman. So from the 12, we can say that they were probably rejected, doing what they've always known. And they encounter Jesus, and he chooses them. And I think if we lay out the journey that we have lived as individuals, we are going about our life. We are doing the things that we knew. 
and then we encounter Jesus and he chooses us. But he doesn't just choose us, he sends us out to do the work. And so he goes and he does this. And the only thing that, that he says that he gave them, he's, he gave them authority. And I just realized when I was studying this, we make it really complicated. <laughs> Church, Christians, any religious organization, we make it very complicated. And what Jesus gave them was authority and directive. Now you're going to go do this. And what he tells them to do, though, is heal the sick. Essentially, go and do miracles. And he's telling them to do something that they cannot do in their own power. That outside of the authority and power of Christ in them, they cannot see the leopard cleanse. They cannot see the dead become raised to life. They cannot see people restored, not just in their body, but in their mind and in their heart and reconciled. So the things that God calls us to are things that we must partner with him in. But we must remember that God will give us what we need to call to do what he's called us to. And each of us, God has called us each to do very different things. And even with the authority that he gives us, I promise you that it's hard. Because um, I think about like this earlier this week, um, a couple days ago actually, I was leaving for work and Kyrie comes and she goes, Mom, I wish, I wish you were a stay-at-home mom. And I hugged her. I was like, that's just not the season of life we're in right now. This is not what God has called us to do. She gives me a hug. She whispers in my ear and she goes, I wish we were in a different season. <clears throat> I, uh, okay, and now context. Uh, girl, you're lucky I'm not a stay-at-home mom. Like, that was the hardest thing I've ever done. I did not thrive in that space. So you're welcome. I work now. <laughs> um, but I also realized... She wanted me to stay home then because she just got in trouble with her dad earlier today. Oh. Earlier that morning. So she was thinking, well, if mom stayed home, we can have fun. And then <laughs> sweet homegirl forgot that she goes to school. So essentially she's like, can you just stay at home while I'm home? And I'm like, what you don't understand is that I take you to school in the morning. And I work a schedule that I'm home when you get home. <laughs> and... You're usually outside playing because you don't want to be inside hanging out with me. <laughs> but that moment that she said that, that initial, like, it was like a gut punch to hear your kid like, man, I wish you stayed home with me. And I remember that it is really hard to do the things that God has called you to do. It is hard to even hear, oh, I wish we weren't in that season. Because I promise you there's a lot of times where I'm like, Lord, like Riley and I had this conversation conversation often where it's like what would it be like if we didn't do this and we just went to a church on a Sunday morning snuck in and then snuck out and then we're like like what would that be like for us that would be so liberating right and babe what did you say to me when I told you about that I was like wouldn't that be nuts uh, I think you were like I don't think you would ever be satisfied doing that and um but why I brought that up is like God is all God has called us all to do different things in our season of life in our circle of influence. A part of uh, each of us having our own individual calling is us having our collective calling, which is to go and heal people with the authority he has given us. And the authority from him is all we need to be sent out. 
And then um, this was something, this was a quote that I actually pulled out that I really love. That says, no work of Christ can ever be done except by men and women who come from the presence of Christ. Sometimes in the complexity of the activities of the modern church, we are so busy with committees and courts and administrations and making the wheels go round that we are in danger of forgetting that none of these things matter if it is carried on by people who have not been with Christ before they've been with others. And that was super convicting for me because first they were with him, they were following him. And then from that place of being with, he then sent him out. That we cannot go out if we were not first with. That we cannot go out and preach the gospel and show people Christ and do all these things if we are first not intentional of being with Christ. Being disciples of Christ. And I've said it before and I'll continue to say it again that the world is tired of hearing people say they love Jesus. But I believe that the world is ready to see people who love Jesus actually live it out practically. To actually live a life that says, I love Jesus. And I'm not just going to say it, I'm going to live it, and I'm going to be human, and I'm not going to be perfect, but that is a part of journeying together. And so he first he gathers them, he calls them, he gives them authority, he sends them out. And... They go out and they do all these things. And the way that they are listed in the list, it can be assumed Peter being the first one in the list was that he was the leader of the group. And I want to just point out, like, does anybody, like, have any, like, do you guys know who Peter, like, the disciple was? Like, what are some characteristics about Peter? To shout him out and say it loud because... He was the rock. Yep. Later, he's identified rock, as the rock. rock. But he was also, <laughs> he also folded. He folded when, when the people challenged him. They mm-hmm. said that, you, you know, you know, Jesus, you were with him. And he's like, hard pass. No, I wasn't. <laughs> he folded, so he wasn't too hard of a rock. <laughs> he's like sandstone. <laughs> yeah. Got him. <laughs> what else about Peter. He probably assumed he was a favorite. Or no, he was, I don't know. I know what he I'm was a foot-in-the-mouth kind of guy. Yeah. Like, said a lot of things, and Jesus like, ah, you still don't get it, do you? Yeah. Uh, he was also the one that saw Jesus walk on water and said, oh, I want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Steps out of the boat. That's sees, my second favorite part. Yeah. <laughs> sees the circumstances, and he's like, oh, I'm dying. Because he, he walked on water a little bit, too. Yeah, he stepped out, which props was, to Peter. Homeboy stepped out of the boat and then immediately starts trying because he sees a circumstance and Jesus says to him, like, why do you have such little faith? And Peter's a guy that comes to mind when you think about dudes that didn't have a lot of faith and like was continually called out on it. But here, Peter's listed first, indicating that Peter in this list was considered the leader of the 12. So you have this guy who is, why do you have such little faith? Why don't you get it? Why are you sandstone, in the words of Josh, not a real rock? Like, what is wrong with you? Yet he is the one leading the crew. And I think that should indicate to us that we're sometimes going to be the people where we have these moments where Jesus is like, why do you have such little faith? Why are you worrying when I have shown you again and again that I have provided for you? 
Why are you discontent when again and again I reassure you that this is your season? Why are you doing this when I have called you to this? We are going to be like Peter, yet even here and Peter is recognized as the leader. So something has happened in the way that we have talked about discipleship and the actual disciples. And so when we go out and we preach the gospel, we preach the good news of Jesus. We should be sure to communicate that it is not about perfection and it's not about having your crap together. It's not about having that Lyndon Lawn syndrome where everything looks good on the outside because if everything looks good on the outside, no one's going to worry about your inside because guess what? The inside is the only thing that Jesus cares about. And so he calls them. He gives them authority. He sends them out. And even the way he lists them assures us what we know about the 12. They were ordinary they were not a wealth of it or influence. They messed up even when walking with Jesus. You're walking with the Son of God. Fully God, fully man. You're still not getting it. They're pushing away kids, probably face-palming kids who are trying to get close to Jesus. And they're like, whoa, back up, back up. This is like Jesus. <laughs> like, imagine kids trying to like get to Jesus and they're like face-palming. They're like, no! I'm sorry, Tanner. But they're like, no! This is the Lord! Tanner. No. No, I know. He's yeah. so dull. <laughs> and she's like, no, I want them to come to me. These are the ones where if you read later, they're like, oh, man, we're on this travel and nobody packed bread. We don't have food. And Jesus is like, did you miss that entire experience where I multiplied a couple loaves and a couple fish to feed several thousand people? All right, you're still missing the point. Okay, we're still working on some things. So these were the twelve. Yet they were chosen by Jesus. They were called into ministry. And they were appointed. They were given the gifts and they were given the authority to go and do and preach. And to see people healed. To see people restored. They were ordinary. So I don't know where we've come up with this jacked up idea that people who go (coughs) preach the gospel have to be anything but just ordinary people. Who are journeying. Who will mess up. If the very disciples that walk with Christ still didn't get it sometimes, I don't understand why we don't have grace to not get it sometimes. But the, that, that was the 12th. And um, fun fact. And okay, so we're going to stop at five because this, five and six because it actually took me all day to marinate on this. Uh, Jenna, can you read verse five and six? These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. I don't know about you, but that doesn't really sound like Jesus in all of everything that we've read about Jesus leading up to this point to tell them to only go to the Jews. And then add in our knowledge of who Jesus is, our Bible knowledge, that doesn't seem like the Jesus that then goes and commissions them to go into all the world to preach the gospel. And so I wrestled with it all day because I was really bothered by it. Like, And I've read this verse so many times, <coughs> but uh, preparing for this, I was so bothered because it just didn't really fit Jesus' heart. Like, it didn't make sense. That Jesus would tell the 12 to just go to the Jews. 
to not go anywhere else. And so I started studying and certain things came to mind was that his statement fits the context of what he was doing. So they were in Galilee, like in all their travels, they were in Galilee and all the surrounding towns and cities were Gentile towns and cities, but the Jews in Galilee go to them first, go here first. And then it fits with the transition and the move of Jesus's ministry throughout the gospel of Matthew that the lost people of Israel, the lost sheep, which was illustration from the Old Testament, that that was the original mission, ministry, which is first to the Jews, the people who have been waiting for their Messiah, waiting for him to come back. And so he comes and then they're like, no, you're not it. And so he goes out further, invites more people into this kingdom, invites more people into relationship, invites more people. But context-wise, they were in Galilee, and they were surrounded by Gentile towns and cities. So it makes sense that he would say, get the Jews here first. And then what happens when you get them there first? Then you go out. So this isn't just Jesus saying, only talk to the Jews forever. But the context is right here, right now, these are the people you need to minister to. And so, um, I don't know, like that, once it kind of clicked in my head that that was what Jesus was saying, I began to think about just something like Riley and Di's idea of missions is in missionary work is like, I don't think there's anything magical about a airplane seatbelt to go into another country and to preach the gospel if you can't preach it, if you can't share it here with somebody who speaks the exact same language. So has anybody been on a missions trip? Raise your hands. All right. <coughs> Can you share what that experience, where did you go and what was that experience like? I went to both Norway and Vienna. Okay. And so you fancy. Continue. <laughs> uh, the experience was really interesting. Yeah. Because uh, being in, in Norway especially, it's very much where the, the older generation still believes and the younger generation doesn't really care. Mm-hmm. So being there and talking with the younger generation and just seeing their viewpoint on everything and just how different it's it is over there than it is over here mm-hmm. and then in vienna was a cool experience but everyone spoke uh, german so so what was difficult about sharing the gospel with somebody that didn't speak the same language outside of the language barrier was it like pictionary mm-hmm. we had <laughs> Basically, uh, we had uh, our leader of the group was was German, mm-hmm. so he was able to talk with them. Uh, the people we we uh, had as our contacts there all all spoke and would go with us. But even there, like we would go to universities, and it was surprising that I still spoke English. Mm-hmm. So. How about you, Erin? Um, I went to Costa Rica, and I was actually one of the trip leaders. Um, and it was interesting because it ended up being more um, of like ministry 
in our group mm. than it was with the people we were there to serve. Um, so we ended up serving a lot in a local high school. We weren't like on the beach. We were like inner city, um, working with inner city kids. And it was great. And we like, you know, played a bunch of soccer with them and like hung out, but there was a language barrier. Um, actually it wasn't as bad, but they were, they didn't, they were afraid to speak English with us because they, they felt like they couldn't speak it well enough to us. So we had that, but it ended up being really cool because, um, a lot of the, um, there were like three different churches represented in our one group. Um, and they were all very, uh, super conservative churches and they weren't used to praying out loud together um so a lot of them experienced that for the first time and then they ended up helping um this elderly lady with something in her home but they decided that since they <coughs> had broken the barrier of praying out loud together that they could also do that with her for healing mm -hmm. um so that was really cool but it ended up being more about like the people that came together for the trip yeah. instead of like who we were impacting yeah, outside of the country. Yeah. Yeah. I, and this is not a, like, here's the thing. Like, this is not me ever saying don't go on, like, a foreign mission trip or anything like that. This is me hitting home that ministry, missions, preaching the gospel, seeing people healed happens here, too. It happens across the street when you're willing to talk to your neighbors. It happens in the spaces that you already are. And we cannot glamorize missions because anybody who's been on a mission trip is like, it's not glamorous, you know, um, which BT dubs is my favorite type of type of missions, which is where you practically do something with your hands. So like soccer is huge. I think even your trip, it taught you how to evangelize to like one, the language barrier, but for the kids who spoke English, like the, the push to do that. But here. Ministry happens here. Mission happens here. To go across the street, to know your neighbors, to go and t be a light in the neighborhood, that that is also important. And as a church gathering, but as people who are filled with the Spirit of God, as people who are journeying and learning, it doesn't have to be on an airplane to another country to go and preach Jesus because there are plenty of people here who don't know. So we have a lot of work cut out here for us too. But that was something that was on my heart as I was studying for this week is the act of walking across the street, the act of looking at somebody in the eyes when they are serving you at a restaurant or at a coffee stand, the act of knowing someone's name. There's so much value in that. And that is just a part of mission work in reaching people in your community. And God will call people to go to other nations and live there as missionaries. But every missionary that I have ever met that went to another nation were really great at living out the gospel here too. It wasn't like they sucked here so they're like, I guess I'll try Africa. They actually never have encountered a person like that. But it was people who were already living it out here and then felt the Lord to call them out there. But we're missing a lot of the hereness and the value of hereness now in being missionaries here. We want to go out there thinking it's more glamorous, that it's easier, and it is not. It is not when it's not another language. It is not when it comes to visa paperwork. It is not 
when it comes to the different risks. And then we end with this. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Again, doing only the things that they could do with the authority he has given them. And after a series of them journeying with him where they saw him heal the sick, they saw him raise the dead, they saw him cleanse the leper, and they saw him cast out demons. So they see it, and now he's like, go do it. And this is important, is that they, they received that experience, and now they go out, and they restore. They've seen these things, and now they go out, and they pour it back out. And um, this will make sense as soon as I say this. I have a tattoo on my body that says, live full, die empty. It's a real feel-good tattoo. Um, but it was in high school. There was a pastor, um, and she was preaching, and she goes, the place that has the most potential is not a college. It's not a school. It is a graveyard. And it is people who have all this potential, all these gifts, all this anointing, and they live a selfish life. They keep it to themselves, and they never pour it back out, and then they die, and then that is it. And she said, we must live a life, we must live full of the anointing, full of the authority, full of experience, full of love, full of gifts, full of these things that we receive from the Lord. But every day we have to take the opportunity to pour those things back out, to go out and pour out what we have received. And Jesus ends this moment with them when he goes, give freely as you have received. The gospel is free. So the experience that you have with Jesus, go back out and share that good news. The blessings that you have in your life, go out and pour those things back out. Everything that we have, everything that we are full of, we need to go and pour it back out into the world. Because the idea is like, I don't want to die or I don't want to be on my deathbed. I don't think I'd be thinking much if I was dead. But <laughs> if I was on my deathbed, I don't want to think about all the opportunities that I missed loving somebody or all the money that I have in my bank account or all the things that I wish I was generous with my life with. But I want to die knowing that everything that we have received, we have given back out. That if we have received and believe in this incredible thing like the gospel, that we would live a life that would invite people to hear the gospel and live life with us. If we have received grace, then we must pour out grace. If we receive joy, we must pour out joy. If we go and we experience these things from God, we must go back out. So the receiving, the witness of Christ is then the sending out, the pouring out of our life. And that is what it is like to follow Jesus. And we will mess up a lot. We will not be perfect. We will ask for forgiveness. We will have moments where we would wonder why would God ever give us position and authority to be influencers. And it will humble us. And we will go out and we will do it again. And my heart, as we were talking through all these things about the disciples and about how he calls them and he sends them out, is that I want us to remember because we read, like, as we're walking through scripture, we know what happens at the end. We know that they will crucify Christ. We know that he will rise again. 
And then he will give them the great commission and then he gives them a promise. After me will come one. He will dwell within you. He will be known as the great counselor. That great counselor is the spirit of God. And I want us to be assured and reminded that the same spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead, that emptied the tomb, is the same one that has promised to live inside of us as great counselor when we receive Christ. And that is boldness and that is authority and that is wisdom. And we go out to be restorers, to be people who bear good news, to be people who have received and give freely. And also the context of as freely as you have received give out is that the itinerant preachers and teachers of the day, they would go out and they would essentially, they could be freeloaders. They would get money from people who want to follow them and they would not work. But what is unique about the way that Jesus and like we'll hear later in the coming verses is that there were a lot of scenarios where Jesus would be like, don't take, don't take anybody's money. But, and then you see Paul later when he goes out and he does ministry, he doesn't take people's money. He was like, I will work. He was bivocational. Homeboy was a tent maker as he was out preaching the gospel. So there's also that context. And I just want us, if I could have everybody leave with one thing. All right, three things. Three things, let's be real. Three things, three things. As I go like this, which is five, it's very confusing. Three things, three things. One, the disciples were ordinary, but they were extraordinary because of the authority of Christ in them. So it is okay to be ordinary, knowing that when you partner with Jesus, you become extraordinary because you will be given the ability and the power and authority to do things that will require Christ. Missions in your neighborhood. And I would say like Tom and the Bredesons are probably one of the people that I like am always amazed at how many people are at your house all the time because they just know that they can go there to feel loved and feel accepted and it's and it's okay to not be put together there. And the third one is the same spirit of God that raised Christ's body from the dead. Christ from the dead is the same spirit of God that dwells within us. And that was my message for tonight. And honestly, it was super challenging for me to teach on this because I feel compelled regularly that I have to be extraordinary to prove that I am worthy of this mantle. And this was humbling for me to study because it reminded me that I don't have to prove anything to anybody when I am walking and abiding and aligning with who Jesus has called me to be. So that is my message. Um, let me pray and then we'll do our takeaway. Um, Jesus, we thank you so much for tonight. We thank you so much for your mercy and your goodness. Lord, we thank you that you take ordinary people and you use them for miraculous things. And so, God, I pray that we would be the type of people that will be willing to be used for miraculous things. Lord, that we would not measure ourselves by the impossible standards that you have never called us to. 
but we would lean in into you. We would seek you above all else. And Lord, we would remember that you called ordinary people. You called people who messed up even when they were walking right beside you. And you chose them. You anointed them. You gave them authority and you sent them out to do good work. I pray that we would be the people who would go out and do good work. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.